Kawhi up top. Looks at the clock. Turns the corner for the win. It's not something you thought we'd say when we were 14 and 17, but the Toronto Raptors will kick off their postseason tomorrow against the Philadelphia 76ers. And as you heard at that clip, right at the start of the show, you know, it was probably the last euphoric moment that Toronto had was that famous Kawhi Leonard shot over Ben Simmons, over Joel Embiid. And while the latter remains in Philadelphia, we of course see a much different 76ers side coming to town this time. And you know, over the next, whether it's four games, whether it's seven games, we're going to see a number of different and interesting matchups throughout. And alongside uh, Balling in the Six analyst and sidekick Varal, we're going to break that all down. Varal, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a while, but you've come back, I guess, because you're somewhat of a glory hunter and you've seen that the Raptors have actually now made the postseason and and suddenly you've decided to return. Is that is that fair to say? Firstly, he calls me sidekick. I thought I had a more official title than sidekick. I thought I bloody earned more than that, but apparently I'll be better devoted again. But um, in terms of the glory hunting, you're absolutely right. Um, this team, I, I pretend not to affiliate with them whatsoever when they're not in the playoff race. As soon as they're in the playoffs, I've got my jersey out. I'm getting the first plane to the Scotiabank Arena, so we love to see it. Um, yeah, those last few games were very, very tense. I had penciled in this 76ers game. Uh, I know you discussed it in the last episode, but the regular season 76ers game was being the crucial game for us to win because it sort of cemented us not having the possibility of facing the Bucks in the first round, which would have been, of course, my absolute um, nightmare scenario. I think they are the team to come out of the East. So um, going against the 76ers team, it, it wasn't just about securing, you know, um, and making sure we don't play the Bucks, but it's about beating them in the season series, beating them twice in a month going into this series. Um, of course, we're going to go in to this with some confidence and... Uh, yeah, I think we should just get into like our breakdown and maybe look at the 76ers team a bit more because it's a team we haven't really discussed much this season. No, and as you say, you know, we're three and one against them in the regular season, as you write, beating them twice in the last month, including that crucial 119-114 win, which we may go into later. But I guess start off, I mean, we're looking to matchups in in a little bit, but in terms of pure danger on this Philly team, I guess you can't start, you can't go any further without looking at the duo of James Harden and Joel Embiid. So I guess firstly, um, what do you think of them as a pair together in Philly? And secondly, how do you think the Raptors can deal with them and perhaps have deal with them that could, in the regular season that could transition over into the playoffs, which of course is a different beast whether it comes to refereeing and defending. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a good point. Um, they're, they're, as a duo, when they've both been on the floor, they've had a very high net rating, the 76ers. So um, if both of them manage to play all series, we're, we're going to be in trouble. I think uh, you've probably seen a lot of sport analysts. Uh, for example, I saw Shaq say uh, in the media um, on Inside the NBA, he said, oh, you need James Harden to you know, score 35 points 
uh, rather than play as like this facilitator, um, more so focus on, on scoring. But I, I don't necessarily think that needs to happen for the Centre Sixers to grab a win. I think that's also quite a risky route for James to take. Like, we have to bear in mind that he's not as explosive as he was four or five years ago. James Harden four or five years ago was not just, you know, an animal when it came from, to the three-point shot, but he was so good at getting to the rim. His first step was exceptional. He would put you to sleep with that dribble. And because of the hip issues he's been having this season, he just, he can't get to the rim in to the same extent as he has, um, you know, in his prime years. So I don't think we're going to see a James Harden who scores 35 points. I'd be really surprised. We haven't seen him for like two years, so it'd be strange for him to come out of this series. But I don't think he needs to play like that for 76ers to win. Um, one, in, in terms of James, I think uh, one thing we will, I'm touching on matchups here slightly, but one thing that will give us confidence is James, he's not as effective, for example, in the pick and roll when the opposition are capable of switching all those actions. When teams double him in the pick and roll, he picks them apart with the passing. He's exceptional that he's been doing that all his career, and he can he can make every single pass. You know, there's cross court passes, passes in the pocket to Joel, throwing the lob to Joel. But if teams are capable of just switching on those pick and rolls, he's just not very effective. And who is the best switching team in the NBA right now? It's the bloody Toronto Raptors. We have three or four guys who can switch onto him, like whether it's Precious. Scotty, who will be the primary defender, and he did a really good job with him for the majority of the uh, regular season games. Um, or if you have, you know, OG Adenubi, um even Gary Trent will do will do a job on him. He, he, he'll James Harden will have a better the matchup. But the point being that we're going to slow it down on the offensive end. I think no matter what play design uh, Doc Rivers calls, we're going to slow him down and. Because we're going to make it frustrating for him on the offensive end, we know what James Harden's like. If he has to expend all this extra energy on the offensive end, he's going to expend even less energy on the defensive end than he normally does. I know people say he picks up in the playoffs, but he hasn't defended like he did, you know, two, three years ago in the playoffs, uh, you know, for the past two years. He hasn't been that kind of defender. And he's not going to be in the series because we're going to exhaust him. We have young guys who are just going to be all over him when he's attacking and so yeah like I said he's going to be taking possessions off on the defensive end so it, it's going to be a difficult series for James but saying all of this he's still a very very good player he might not be an MVP level player but he's still very very good so we can't underestimate him I think he can in individual games go off you know 30 points 9 assists uh, 8 rebounds particularly with rebounds we have to watch out for him so yeah um, he, of course seeing how hard it plays, that's going to be a key factor for this team. I think if we look into actual scoring analyses this season against Toronto, you only need to look at the game a couple of weeks ago where he shot three from 12 from the field. And of course, that was perhaps a blend of his his hamstring issues, explosive issues. And of course, the Raptors' ability to, as you say, switch and you know prevent that favoured pick and roll. But in that same game, he also dished out 15 assists. And... That assist-to-turnover ratio is going to be absolutely crucial, right? Because Toronto are one of the best teams at forcing turnovers in the entire league. Harden, on his day, if he plays very clean offense, he can pick apart the Raptors' defense. Um, You know, especially if, you know, 
Maybe you get Danny Green in the pick and pop, right? Maybe you get Joel Embiid switching onto a wing instead of, uh, you know, the traditional, more traditional pick and roll. So Philly can employ a number of different strategies, but I think you're right in terms of a pure Harden scoring machine. I'm not sure we're going to see a lot of that this season, just because of how the Raptors have been able to defend elite guards. You know, the problem comes with the Raptors with elite big men, and I think we should move on yeah, to Joel yeah. Embiid with this. Embiid has struggled to an extent. I mean, if we look at the Raptors in the regular season, especially the latter end, we've learned how to stop, you know, the likes of Jokic, the likes of, um, you know, name another big man. We've probably had a great game on him, especially in recent weeks. But that... I would say Yanis, but... Yeah, we have trouble yeah. with Yanis. <laughs> probably even probably Yanis, right. Um, uh, sorry, Carl anthony Towns, maybe. Yeah. You know, players like that. Um, Bam Adebayo but you look at that most recent game and you see Embiid and I discussed this in the last solo episode he scored 30 points with 10 rebounds but the fact is this is a big man who shot less than 50% from the field he needed 10 free throws and we know we've seen you know the amount of free throws that Embiid and Harden managed to get this season uh, there's been some you know discomfort over that from the more traditional fans yeah. Do you think that the Raptors already have Embiid sort of locked up? Do you think they know how to defend him? I mean, the strategy from Nick Nurse, and we've seen this against every big man, it seems to be, you know, basically throwing bodies in front and behind, letting maybe the role players do the damage. But in fact, it's stopping that big man from going and scoring 30, 40 points and making it very uncomfortable for him. So surely, unless maybe Embiid has one more trick up his sleeve, what do you think? Uh, I would analyse that slightly differently. I, I do agree with you that we have learned how to slow down some of the more effective big men when we come across them. But in terms of MB, what you have to look at here is he's added so much to his arsenal. It's not just about posting up with MB. If you do send a double over, he's become so much better at finding the open man. Like he's, he's not, you know, low Jokic level of savant passing from the post, but he, he is actually very, very... I would say he's a very good passer now. Um, you touched on free throws. I think that's a big factor. Um, he's going to get minimum like seven, eight free throws a game because if you have two, six, eight guys on him, he's still going to be able to get a shot over them. So he's going to be forced... Like, we're going to be forced to hack him as well. So he's going to he's gonna get his like 25, 30 points a game, to be honest, every single game. And that's not, I wouldn't look at that and say, oh, we, 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 can, we can lock him up. Like, no, we're not locking him up at all. But I do see your point of, uh, I think it will be difficult for him to, you know, get those 40, 50 point games. But uh, yeah, what, what were you going to say there, Kamal? Well, it's interesting because Embiid has very recently commented on how the Raptors have defended him over the years. You know, there's been a lot of battles, especially that 2019 one. Yeah. I'll just read out his full quote to see what you think of them. He okay. says, The way they defend me has never changed. They just play recklessly, sending three guys on me as soon as the ball is in the air, which that made me better over the years. Just playing against them and watching them, they made me a better playmaker. So that's why he enjoys playing them. Oh, wow. But, he that's said, a compliment. Yeah, but, he says, there's still a lot of ways I can attack them. It doesn't have to be ISO. I can just get a deep position on them use my size and my weight to take advantage of them. I think I know what I have to do. I've just got to execute it. So apart from the fact that them's fighting words, there's actually a lot of insight in there. 
What do you make of that? Do you, um, apart from playmaking and getting in the low posts, uh, I guess that's that's quite a simple but effective strategy for Embiid. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, he, because he's added, you know, the mid-range and even the three-point game this season, but it's not that useful for him to do that against Toronto because he has that massive advantage on the inside. Um, and th- this is it, Kamel. Let's let's consider this. I think we have to look at the James Harden trade now because, again, if we double, triple team him in the post, like he says we always apparently do, he is he's certainly, we're not really disagreeing with that. You've lost Seth Curry. The main three-point shooter now you have is uh, George Nan. But one ah. issue with him, one issue, no, no, he's a very good three-point shooter. Oh, come on, very, man. He is a very... 40%. 40%. <laughs> I know it's the modern NBA and 40% is no longer you Tyrese Maxey is a lot better no no Tyrese Maxey has improved a lot with his three point shooting but he's not a seasoned three point shooter he hasn't, he hasn't been in an exceptional three 43% this season yeah this season but no it's not like, overall yeah yeah you're like you have to look at yeah historically yeah clearly he's developed it but we need to see it like postseason or postseason and are you forgetting about Danny Green no, so this is this. I was going to bring up Danny Green now. Danny Green is a streaky shooter, and he's getting older in years as well. The thing with Danny Green, like if, if this has been four years ago, he's obviously a massive factor for them because he was a massive factor for us in our title run. But he's a he's no longer defending the primary offensive player, and b he's pretty much on the offensive end, relegated, being relegated to just like a spot up three point shooter. He's no longer got the athleticism we used to. But he could drive a uh, dunk, you know. Um, so with Danny, people have you know uh, criticised him in the past, especially about Lakers team, saying he just disappears in the playoffs. He doesn't make the big three-point shots when it counts, and he has been streaky this year from three as well. Even though he's shot thirty-eight percent, he's had games where he shot like two of eleven, two of twelve. In games like in the last game against the Raptors, he was six of seven. Uh, so yeah, he's going to be streaky. So there's obviously going to be a big reliance on. George Niang and Danny Green, but Niang's not going to play 30 minutes. It's too much of a defensive liability as well. So I think they are, yeah, like one, maybe one X factor for them, you know, it's going to be Tobias Harris because he can't be scoring 10 points a game. Like he can't be scoring eight points a game. You have to look at his contract and think, you need to be, you know, scoring minimum 20 points a game in this series and you need to be pulling rebounds because you're sick eight. And you have the physique to be putting down rebound. He's not he's not anywhere near as good a rebounder as he should be given his size. Not a good defensive player given despite the tools that he has in potentially in that area. So I well, think yeah, Tobias Harris has rarely been discussed in the media, but I think but he's to see him have a big game as well. He's significantly improved though since Harden has come. I mean, looking at his stats since the all-star break, looking at his stats since Harden's coming to the team, he's moved in as that like now Philly's fourth option. They don't need as much from him. But at the same time, that's also improved him. You look at stats over the last 24 games, he's averaged almost 15 points, six rebounds, three assists. He's shooting 40% from three and almost 50% overall. And I think Philly fans generally are really happy with now how he's fitting in. So I think he becomes a factor. One guy who doesn't become a factor, at least for two or three games of this series, is, of course, Matisse Thybul. Yeah, yeah. How yeah. much of yeah. a loss is he? Massive. Does that, does that just cure the Raptors the, the W in the home games? No, 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 because it's only three games. If it had been the whole series, I would pretty confidently say that gives us the victory, like the series win. 
So in a He's nutshell, that important to them, to them defensively. In a nutshell, tell maybe Raptors fans who haven't watched any Philly games or rarely Philly games what exactly he brings, like the intangibles and the non-box score factors. Uh, yeah, with Matisse. So I'm going to talk about uh, one of his. Uh, so his main uh, weakness first, because. Uh, what Doc Rivers has found himself doing quite a lot in the regular season is taking him out in the second half of games because he's so horrible a shooter. He's pretty much left wide open in the corner, so he's almost in that exactly in that Ben Simmons uh, role, which is why I thought this season, I, I thought when the Simmons trade happened, I was like, they, it's Sixers don't give a flying, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to finish that, but they don't care because they've got a player who... Playmaking and dribbling aside, okay, those two things are big, but Matisse Tybal is like almost a duplicate replacement for him in terms of the rest of it, like in terms of his defense. Matisse Tybal is the most unique defender in the league. Like, please, please, please watch him defend. Most players, they're taught to keep their man in front of them and uh, like basically try not to get behind them because as soon as they get behind their man they've probably lost that matchup the guy's going towards the rim or he's able to make a pass but Matisse Tybal likes pushing people towards their weaker side but then also defending from behind and actually contesting shots from behind but also forcing turnovers from behind because the other the attacking player doesn't see it he's got like the most unique defensive play style and it's high risk high reward absolutely but he's an app like he is still one of I think top five defenders in the league and up there with the best you know perimeter defenders in the league and we said this at 76 it seems so another thing we haven't really discussed is their lack of defense outside of Joel like their perimeter defense now now if we talk about matchups because I think I'm, I wanted to transition this to, to, to Van Vliet now because oh, yeah because he's been struggling with, you know, that that knee problem for like ages now. Um, so I, I'd like you to chip in there with your thoughts, Kamel. But I, just to say here that I think offensively, of course, we're just not we we're not a good shooting team this season. We're one of, we have one of the worst uh, field goal percentages in the league. Um, but one thing I was like kind of licking my lips about was without Tybal especially. Just, I'm just picturing Van Vliet and Siakam in the pick and roll, targeting Tyrese Maxey over and over and over again. And who do they have? Who else do they have in that perimeter area? Danny Green, who I've said is too old. Harden is not going to be, I don't think, that locked in on defense end because he's not going to be en- have the energy to. Um, so at George Nyang, I discussed as well, he's more of a forward. Uh, Shake Milton, undersized. Basically, they're going to have a lot, a lot of trouble with us. That's that's why, even though we're one of the most, again, worst pick and roll teams in the uh, NBA, we were very successful with the pick and roll against the 76ers in the regular season because, yeah, they just, they match up horribly with us. And so I think Van Vliet, if he does, like, depend, like him being at full fitness uh, and, you know, not shooting 35% from the floor as he has done while he's been suffering from this knee injury, he's going to be massive. So... Um, maybe Kamel there if you want to even touch on defence or touch in on uh, touch on uh, Van Vliet's status currently because even I'm not completely sure about um, what his current like injury status is 
No, I mean, obviously he sat out the last couple of games of the season. That was also part of the rest, part of the fact that Raptors did secure their playoff spot uh, with a few games to go, so to give him some rest before the playoffs. But, you know, he's had, uh, well, he will have by tomorrow seven seven days free without any games. Um, yeah, true. He won't necessarily be 100%, but then again, in the NBA Finals, we're not sure Kawhi was 100%. We're not sure Lowry was 100%. But, you know, Van Vliet is a fighter. He's the kind of guy who will go above and beyond. And Matt, this man lost a tooth, right, in the NBA Finals and then went and, you know, nailed a dagger three over Steph, I believe. So, you know, I don't worry about Van Vliet's resolve. Uh, I do want to touch on one point you made about the Raptors um, maybe taking advantage of the lack of uh, depth that, of defense in the Philly team. The great stat yesterday, which I saw, was the Raptors are the only team in the last 47 years to have five or more players average over 15 points a game this season. And we've talked about it. It's the fact that every single member of this Raptors squad, right? For, for, for obviously, these five players are Van Vliet, Gary Trent Jr., OG, Scotty, Siakam. You know, every single member of this squad is capable of scoring. The scoring can come from anywhere. If you're nullified in the paint by Embiid, so be it. You go outside. If you're nullified on the wings by, you know, I think likes Danny Green will still still do a very solid job uh, on the perimeter. If you're nullified there, then maybe you go to the mid-range. You know, it's um, it's a different prospect this time. You're not only relying on Kawhi Leonard. And I know in 2019 against it, we needed Leonard to make some superhuman shots to keep the Raptors in this series. But now the scoring can come from anywhere. The only thing, and I want to get your thoughts on this, is the playoff defense and playoff whistles. You know, it's more strict. Defense is more physical. And we've seen in recent years, prolific regular season scorers like DeRozan simply can't cut it in the postseason. Which player, if any, do you think will struggle the most from the Raptors? this postseason and I guess maybe specifically against the 76ers or generally in the postseason I think the most I'm not sure about struggle but for me the most interesting matchup from our perspective so if we're the attacking team um, it's going to be Siakam because it probably looks like they'll have Embiid on him so I just think that's going to be a really really interesting matchup Siakam of course is a lot quicker than MB, so it might be the case that um, he acts as the primary ball handler, handler which he's um, he's been doing for you know two three seasons now. Like he'll take the, uh, his share of responsibility and bring the ball up. And of course, if that's the case, that's kind of the position he wants MB to be, uh, you know, running around the perimeter. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to say struggle there, and I don't want to say any of the others will necessarily struggle. But I think that matchup really interesting to see how Embiid deals with him but the second player I think will be uh, Gary Trent Jr because he's, he for us obviously he's going to be the X factor on the offence if he's shooting from three how we'd want him to because he's going to have open shots as well when we're, we're attacking we talked about their def- uh, defensive deficiency if he can come close to his offensive potential yeah if, if we're scoring if we're like a um, middle of the league like effective field goal percentage in the series it's a wrap because we're one of the bottom offences in the league and we're still the fifth seed you know so um, I think weirdly I, I, I don't want to see us moving the ball around too much I think stick to pick and roll stick to isolating because we have 
we have some advantages there in isolation one-on-one matchups, I think, offensively. So um, keep, like, one of our big strengths is we also don't turn the ball over that much. So keep that being the case. Like, don't mess around so much. Don't go for, like, the high-risk pass, you know? Um, yeah, just basically keep it simple offensively. And I think that should be more than enough to get it done. Because, like you said, we've got four, five, or six guys who can go off for maybe 20, 25 in the night. So that gives us a huge amount of flexibility, of course. And um, maybe one thing uh, I wanted to touch on here, Kamel, is uh, just a question for you. Which team do you think will struggle? It seems a bit like a silly question, but let's say outside of MB, which team do you think will struggle the most with one of their starters being injured? Of course, if you have MB in this in this question, that, that's, that's a given. But the reason I ask is because uh, our bench depth, our bench hasn't been that great this season, has it? Um, well, in recent in recent months, I guess you can argue it's been serviceable. But then again, you don't want Thaddeus Young or Chris Boucher playing 30 minutes a game. So you are going to struggle in, in that aspect. And you look at Philly's depth. I mean, it's not great, but I think it is experience to an extent. I mean, you do have the likes of Andre Drummond, uh, Korkmaz, um, you know, those kind of guys um, coming they off. They actually, Kamel, just to interrupt there, they actually lost uh, Drummond as part of the Harden trade. Oh, well, so that, that is a benefit massive... because I was about to bring up the nature of the big man. And I was like, well, you've dealt with Embiid and then you have to deal with the rebound man himself, Drummond. So, um, it, well, well, that, that's actually, it's, it's really important that you pull them up because they've, they've not had a backup centre. So that's that's that is big for us. So who plays backup for them? Uh, the five. Um, I don't actually know, but I would have imagined it's probably Tobias and like Paul Millsap. But then I don't know how if Paul Millsap's been given like 10, 15 minutes a game to play as a backup centre. I do know when Embiid's off the floor, they are horrible. So uh, since especially that Ben Simmons trade, so. Um, I don't actually know. Um, yeah, I mean, they're not they're not giving DeAndre Jordan any time. Um, if you look at the game against us, I, I think they might be playing Paul Reed there, actually. Um, a sort of a stretch five, maybe. But it's, yeah, it's, a, it's yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. Their bench, interestingly, against us was really, really terrible. I mean, in that last game, you'll have Niang minus 20, Shake Milton minus 17, Paul Reed minus 13, Cork minus minus five. Um, and everyone on in the starting lineup was was a positive, you know. Even Danny Green plus thirteen. Um, just to wrap it up, I think who should be your starting five against the 76ers? Everyone's fit, everyone's healthy. Do you start Ken Birch or do you start OG? I guess is the question. Let, I'm going to throw that straight back to you because that, <laughs> that is tough. It's been traditional, I think, as we've talked about, for Ken Birch to start at least the quarters against these seven-footers. But come playoff time, do you want to risk it? There was an athletic article on, on Philly, actually, and it sort of talked about how in recent Philly games where the Raptors have won, of course, OG's been injured. So you've been forced to start yeah. with someone like Precious uh, on the start on the floor. And that, of course, has thrown in another big man, another good rebounder. I'm unsure about starting OG in this game, just because of his health as well. Do you yeah, want to? He's dealing with that. Is it the finger injury, yeah. right? Exactly. If that five had been together for a long time and been clicking, sure. 
But you know what? I'd give Ken Birch or Precious Achua at least the first few minutes on the floor. And then I'd throw OG in. You know, he's still going to get 30, 35 minutes a game, but maybe just not at the start. I think Precious is probably almost a given starting, actually, weirdly. Um, this, this, in my opinion, would be our most dynamic lineup. I don't know how well it would match up against Sen Six, but it'd be Van Vliet, Trent, OG, Precious at the four, and then Siakam at the five. But then again, you look at Will. How how is Siakam fair defending against uh, Embiid? It's, it's not just going to be Siakam. We know that it's the committee of defenders. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the committee, the executive board. Um, but uh, yeah, that that'd be interesting. But then. Even Ken Burge, if he does start, he'll, he'll still only play 15 to 20 minutes a game. So I don't think it's that big a deal if he starts or not. I think the more interesting one is definitely looking at the 76ers. Is it is it almost set in stone, their starting lineup? Maybe you have to consider, of course, with or without Matisse either. I think I think without Matisse, it would probably be Harden, Danny Green, Tobias, Embiid and Maxi. But that's small though, because you've got Danny at the straight forward position, which is. Do you, do you need to go big against the Raps? But Danny Green is going to get eaten if it's Scotty on him, you know? That yeah, young athletic ball. That's true, but that that was the lineup they played with Matisse out. I don't know yeah. who you bring in. With Matisse in, we do just plug out uh, Danny Green, isn't it? It's it's an interesting one. I see what see what the coach decides to do, um, but no. You, you, the, the thing is, Camille, if you have Tyrese and Harden, that's not that is that is not good defensively. I think they would like to start with them purely for the offensive side of it, and then they'd see how much trouble we would give that duo defensively. I think it depends on how brave he wants to be. Right? Who's who wants to be on the front foot and take that initiative? Mm. Um, all we know is that, I mean, these two coaches are two of the most uh, experimental and probably spectacular coaches there are. And then, again, yeah. this, these series will probably end up being probably under 200 points a game, uh, most likely. Yeah. Uh, unless yeah. someone like Embiid or Gary Trent goes off. So it'll be gritty, yeah. it'll be grindy. But this is Raptors basketball. And, of course, as we said at the start, didn't ever expect to be in the postseason, didn't expect to ever be playing past mid-April. But we've got a chance, and I think... What I said last episode was, whatever happens, you can be proud of this team and you can just enjoy this series, I guess. They're way, way ahead of where they're meant to be. And now we're, we're wrapping things up. Time for, I think, time for our bold series predictions. No, yeah. no, you just shouldn't make me do this. No, <laughs> why not? <laughs> <laughs> All right, you go first. <laughs> He's throwing it straight back at me. I th- I chopped a forehand there and just hit, hit the backhand straight back. What's cool? Um, oi, oi, oi. I think with Matisse out, oh, but there's, there's so many uh, like variables here. It depends on the health of Van Vliet, it depends on the health of OG. But I think with OG out, Raptors and six. OG out. Uh, sorry, with Matisse, sorry. With Matisse, oh, Matisse out. Oh, yeah, okay. Good. It, 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 it was maybe an OG status. I'm saying Raptors in six. Raptors in six? Yeah, I'm going Raptors in seven. That's not hometown bias. That's genuinely, I think, Nick Nurse's coaching put, puts us over the top. I, that's another thing. I think we've got the better coach here. And I, I think that's going to make all the difference in those timeout phase, whatever, those crunch time situations. 
you know he's going to be throwing that zone defense at, at the 76ers team. You know just a piss-off Doc Rivers is going to throw that 2-3 zone, maybe even that full-court zone that he's sometimes at, the diamond zone, whatever. I didn't even know that existed. As a what, do you, what do you think, a, bo- a box-in-one when uh, Embiid's off yeah. the That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Bring yeah. it back. When Chris Boucher essentially plays as like a linebacker safety in the, in the back <laughs> um, that He's going to be pulling out all the tricks. and. Uh, yeah, um, I think all the pressure, of course, is on the 76ers team, especially if, you know, imagine if Embiid was the MVP going into the season as well. I, I actually don't know when the MVP is announced exactly, but despite, you know, whether he wins it or not, after making that superstars trade, they're going to have all the pressure. And that, I think, is also going to be another factor as to why they're not going to make it across the line. Well, it's been wonderful. I guess I'll see you on the other side. As for our listeners, one, we have a bracket challenge. Make sure you enter it. You can enter it any time within the playoffs. But of course, the earlier you enter it, uh, the earlier you make your predictions, the uh, more likely you are to win. Um, And uh, yeah, whoever wins will announce your name on the show. Uh, As for our schedule, we'll be looking to do an episode maybe every two or three games. Uh, We're going to look to keep it tight. We're going to look to do short, sharp analyses of these games and uh, yeah hopefully we can come out and uh, b- believe it'll be Miami Heat in the next series but let's not yeah yeah let, let's uh, steady on there Jaffa steady on yes, yes. right um, but but just to touch on just as a last thing there um, for those of you who haven't listened to our podcast probably in two years because of course we didn't do this in last year's playoffs but we like to do uh, you know short I would say almost poetic three four minute analyses of each of the games um, filled with, you know, humour. Uh, like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm being a bit bold and saying humour, but, you know, um, we try to make it, it's quite a different take on it. We try to, like, imagine we were in the arena from, like, minute one to, you know, minute 48 and just give, like, short, nice, fun little analyses. Um, so, yeah, hopefully you guys will enjoy that. I think it's quite, a, uh, again, don't mind us saying this, but it's quite a unique format of doing it. Um, so, yeah, hopefully you guys enjoy this season as well.